Hi everyone, on this edition of Scouting for Growth, I will be joined by Amy Buchan-Sickfield, an experienced founder, CEO, entrepreneur, investor, and speaker. What fascinates me about Amy is that she is a co-founder of Last Night's Game, a platform that breaks down sports in an easy-to-understand way through email and weekly podcasts. She also serves as the on-air talent and the face of the company. From creation to execution, Amy has managed organizations and significant initiatives, including fundraising, marketing program development, community relations to empower others with ideas, information, mentorship, and resources. As I'm sure you all know that Sports Tech includes today over 17,000 startups, ventures, 30% of which have raised $35 billion dollars of VC funding with 11 active unicorns. Business models range from fantasy sports, esports, to fitness and wellness often used in health insurance. The most recent unicorn include German OneFootball, a new media platform for football enthusiasts, actually European football enthusiasts, and Indian company Games 24-7, specializing in technologies that provide game playing for a portfolio of skills and casual gaming. Today, Amy and I intend to cover on the podcast the following few points. So first, I want to start with Amy as the investor, the entrepreneur, and the woman in tech. Then we'll dive into why last night's game. I want to talk about why niche markets yield success. Then we'll dive into the challenge and opportunity for women entrepreneurs. We'll finish with some tips and best practices. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, do not forget to subscribe to it, rate it, and provide a comment here below. If you uh, want to talk about a topic that you feel needs addressing, just send me a message using the channel option listed below too. So let's get started and let's welcome Amy. Hi, Amy. Thank you very much for joining me on Scouting for Growth today. I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about your work with women in technology, but also around, you know, this amazing platform you've built around sport, which I was a bit surprised to learn about because I'm not the greatest sports person myself. I do dabble in tennis, a little bit of European football, uh, but I look forward to reading more and everything about your activity. So to get started, Amy, tell us about you, who you are, what you do, what you got you to build your, and I'm not going to mention the name, the company. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess in a very nutshell, I am. I'm a. I'm a third generation entrepreneur. Um, my grandfather and my father both um, were mechanics, and they both started their own garages. 
And that was really, entrepreneur wasn't really the word back then. It was small business and there was no such thing as an entrepreneur or by definition. And so um, that really drove me to understand the hard work that goes into uh, going out and creating and also supporting those who are going out and creating. I think that is such a huge integral piece of this and a piece of my life is, is part of that um, I am a native of Las Vegas, Nevada. Most people in the world have heard of Las Vegas. Um, and yes, people do live there. Uh, but I sp have spent time kind of living a little bit uh, in a couple different places in the U.S. And we we spent some time in Singapore. And so that has given me this great global perspective on what's happening in the world. And and truly, I think that the, the thing about, and we can dive into sports in a little bit, but the thing I love about sports is it's like food. It's a common language that we all speak. Everywhere you go has a, a favorite sport, uh, has a national food, has a national dish. And everyone's really proud of that. Everyone's proud of their dish. They're proud of their sport. And so to me, that is something that, that can be used across the board, no matter where you are in the world. And that's one of the things of, out of many that I really, truly really love about the world of sports. Um, and it just carries over into every facet of what happens in my life. So, And so it's important to actually understand that you built, you know, last night's game um, with your brother, uh, I believe. And together yes. you have tried to bring to market a really unique proposition that I want to highlight. And I'm so honored to be with you on the podcast is you're an angel investors, right? You are supporting women. Mm -hmm in business and technology. Um, you have, as you said, exposure in multiple markets and you are still, I think, building new ventures and helping others building their ventures, right? Right. And that to me is what really makes me, um, makes me tick. I really enjoy obviously creating last night's game uh, with my brother and uh, we can dive into that story in a second. But uh, what I really love to do is recognize the talent and those people who are out there hustling, trying to make things happen and making those connections and making those things happen for them. I had a call before I hopped on with you for, with some Notre Dame um, alumni. I, I'm a, my, I received my MBA from the University of Notre Dame and the, the girl just reached out and said, hey, we're starting this this business. Would you mind, can we pick your brain? And of course, why, why wouldn't I be able to give 15 minutes, a half hour to someone who's out there trying to make things happen? Because you never know what's going to stick, but you also want to support those who have those ideas because getting things started and really taking that step, I think, is the hardest part. And so if you can give that extra vote of confidence or maybe just some ideas or connections that helps them be successful, right? Um, a lot of this conversation was, how are you making yourself different than anybody else? And that is how you get funded, because if you're different, then that that is an excellent thing. And so that was a perspective they hadn't really thought about. So that whole conversation really geared around how do we make our, ourselves stand out in the market? And so that only happens if you're talking to other people, because when you're the founder, you're so stuck in your head, you don't see all those things. And so I do think it's really critical to to be that sounding board and be able to be available if you have an area of expertise to share with someone. Absolutely. So tell us about last night's game. So last night's game was an idea we had, gosh, it's probably been about 20 years ago now, as, as I, much as I hate to admit that time flies. Um, I was an intern uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, which is a major league baseball team. And I was with a, uh, at a game with one of my girlfriends and the guys were running off the field. And she said, why are they running off the field? And they said, well, they have three outs. And she said, what's an out? And while I don't expect everyone to be an ESPN, a sideline reporter and, and know everything about sports, I thought, 
she's really missing out on an opportunity to connect with her coworkers. Um, like many women, she worked, uh, myself included, works in a male-dominated industry. And sports is that common language that does allow you to level the playing field in the office. And so for, for me, I thought, how do I bring this to her? How do I teach her about sports in a really interesting way? And so, as I said, I was probably about 20 at the time. And I, I called my brother and said, hey, I've got this idea. Let's make sports approachable for all of our friends. Like, think about how much they could use this. My friends could use it on dates, all these different things, and in the office. And he was like, that's a really great idea, Amy. But um, I'm in high school, and you work 80 hours a week. Uh, so, no, that's probably, we're not going to have time for that. And so, and of course, websites and all those things weren't as approachable and easy as they are now. And so uh, it took about 14 years later, uh, if we can believe it, we were moving back to the, the U.S. from Singapore. And we moved at Thanksgiving time and no one really hires between Thanksgiving and New Year's. And so I couldn't find anything. I'd been looking for the three months prior to our move and couldn't find anything. And so at the Thanksgiving dinner table, I said, Scott, what do you think if we just give this a go? I mean, I've, I've probably got, uh, you know, six six weeks or so. And if it flops, it flops. If, it, if people like it, then let's just keep going. Why not? And so we really just started this this business. And and uh, there's a book called Lean Startup. And it says, if your business is, is beautiful and everything is perfect, when you launch, you've launched too late. And our baby was ugly. I mean, it was an email that went out uh, with, a, with a link to this week that, you know, the write-up, we go Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And um, it started as a Gmail email list. And then uh, after Gmail, you could only send to 100 emails. So I was doing two or three email lists. And I went, okay, we've got to figure out how to send an email blast and how that, what that looks like. And, and so it was all these processes. And even the way we reported sports was very kind of statistic heavy. It was a little bit about each game, like an NFL game, a football game that um, happened that day. And so we've really fine tuned that. And, and one of the ways we've done that is we really honed in our target market. And I think that's another thing that I was talking to this business about earlier this morning is Finding that if you had a hundred dollars, who are you going to make the, who's going to buy? If you're going to advertise for someone, you have only a hundred dollars, who's going to buy? And it has to be specific. And that is the biggest challenge. And, and what I see in looking at businesses from an angel investing standpoint, and is that everyone wants to be everything to all people. You can't be, it's, it's not possible, right? I understand that if I'm selling you, I'm selling men's pants. Yes. Maybe their wives are, are part of the target market because they'll, they might buy them for them. But chances are, I'm going to advertise to the men. And so it's how do you really narrow that market? And for us, that was identifying who our target market was and giving it a name and someone as someone we know. So I literally will say some days, Scott, do you think that Lisa really cares about that? No, Lisa doesn't care about that. And so that really gives us a perspective on, would she talk about that? No, probably not. So it, it has allowed us to fine tune our model a little bit and no one's ever perfect. The business is never perfect. We're always evolving and always pivoting. But that um, that is what, one of the key things that really did help shape our content and shape what makes us different. So you all, I mean, you have been many years now uh, building, shaping, refining, pivoting the proposition, you know, beside the target market, which, you know, I thought as well would probably be an interesting one um, to educate I guess, woman, and I'm sure your target market is probably larger now than just educating and making sports simpler uh, for women. What were, I guess, the pitfalls you have experienced to create that niche for yourself? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I would say 
the biggest pitfall pitfalls for us is probably ourselves. To be quite honest with you, we have we have been the biggest pitfall for pitfall for ourselves because when you're when you're small, sometimes it's hard to figure out how to do things, right? And that really is what it what it comes down to is I don't know how to do that. And admitting that you don't know how to do that is the first step. But uh, that has been a, a challenge for us. And um, the one thing that we love is that we're small, so we can we're not a cruise ship, right? We're a speedboat. We can shift as we'd like to, and that has really helped. But um, some of our bread and butter things that we're now looking back at and going, is this worth the time we're putting into it? We've done this since the inception, but that that list isn't growing as big. Should we be looking at something else? How do we modify that? How do we still maybe serve this group, but do it in a different way that is more fruitful and, and useful of our time? And so I, sometimes I think we don't stop to slow down enough to look at the data and look at what's happening versus because we're so small, um, in terms of staffing, you know, it's, it's the two of us and we have two phenomenal interns, but, you know, we're always going, we're always plugging, we're always making things happen that sometimes we don't stop to sit back and say, okay, what were our goals? Is this really, truly what we should be doing? Is this fruitful? Is this the best use of our time and our resources? And so tell us a little bit about the product. You know, I went onto the website and I, you know, I played around, you know, actually being French and having moved to the UK 30 years, I used to date a gentleman um, who was playing cricket. And so 10 years of my life was about learning cricket. I'm probably the only French person who knows to play cricket. <laughs> with you. Um, beside that, football and tennis, as I mentioned, and football because of my dad. He loves football. So I used to go to the game with him. But, you know, what is a product? How does it look like? What do people do with the platform? Well, so we, we actually had a write-up about cricket because I did not know anything about cricket. And one of our dear friends uh, lives in Australia and is a big cricket fan. And so I said, can you teach our audience? Will you be a guest writer and just teach our audience about cricket? Because I have no, I really don't know a lot about it. So that has been really fun for me to learn. But the the, the product offering looks a little bit like we have a podcast that comes out um, once a week. We're working on actually adding in a second it's a quick five minute podcast talking about the latest thing happening in the world of sports. Our sports tend to trend American sports simply because that's most of our audience. But we do really like to look at what else is happening in the world because I think it's important that our world is we're global, right? We're all connected. And you may have a client, you may have someone you need to work with that is in a different country that loves a different sport than you do. And so how do you relate to them? Well, you read about cricket and you learn a little bit of fun things, a couple of fun things about cricket. So if you go to a match, you know that you can dress up and how it works and what things look like. And um, I think that's really important. So the podcast is our main offering. Uh, we have a newsletter that comes out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And that's about a three-minute read. Our whole goal is short and sweet. We all know that we have an information overload happening. And so how do we keep this short and sweet? How do we keep you plugged in? Uh, and then we have a website as well as our uh, social media sites. So we really do, we crank out a lot of content. That seems to be the comment I hear a lot from people is how do you create so much content? And that is that is a strength of ours, I should say. Um, and that process really is interesting because I love sports, but I'm doing all these other things. I also have a small child. Um, so I don't have time to really sit and watch sports or even watch ESPN or the highlights half the time. My brother is sort of that secret weapon, if you will, and, and we call him our, our, our chief sports nerd. And he knows more about the world of sports than anyone I've ever met. Uh, he follows it. He works in the world of sports uh, full-time elsewhere. 
And he is that secret weapon I have that relays that information to me. I then refine it and create it and write it in a way that is is fun and engaging because I believe that no one learns if it's boring. And so how do we make this interesting? How do we make it exciting? And so that's sort of our system that we put into place and to make all those things happen. So I was going to ask you, you mentioned that your uh, brother is uh, working full time somewhere else and actually is your secret weapon. I wanted to talk to you about fractional work um, because today, I think you already mentioned it, we are living in the world where we are overloaded with information, but also the world of work is changing massively. Most of us probably have two or three activities. You know, as you said, we are helping entrepreneurs, um, you know, 15 minutes here and there, but also we are running businesses and maybe in your case, sitting on boards and uh, doing what I call fractional CXO roles. Can you tell us a day of life of Amy and how you actually spend your time between your family and work and how you make it work, actually? Uh, I will I tell you that no day is the same. And I will tell you that I am the 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 queen. I have my my hat that I wear that I am definitely the fractional, the fractional worker when it comes to all of those things. So um today, for instance, my husband travels a lot for work. So I'm in charge of all things household, obviously, and getting a, a tiny human up and out of bed and dressed and of some sort of maybe brush their teeth out the door and into school. So that's a big piece of it, right? I, that does manage my um, my evenings and my mornings. I do tend to work a lot when he goes to bed just to kind of piece it all together. And um, today's a is a quote unquote normal day where I have meetings, and all the other things. But um, I'm also an adjunct professor at Oklahoma State University. So I teach in the entrepreneurship school, an uh, entrepreneurship in the business school. And so it's it's working on the slide deck for tomorrow's class and going through that and exam follow-ups and all those things. Um, but then it's also finding time on the calendar. I, I love the app Calendly, which allows me to share my calendar and let people find time. That tends to be really helpful because when I get emails like the one I did um, from this group this morning, I can say, just find a time on my calendar that works. Let's, let's, let's run through things. So I also, yes, serve on board. So I have a couple of calls this afternoon. Um, I'm also the vice chair of uh, Irish Angels, which is an angel investing group uh, based out of Chicago and uh, chair their uh, diversity, equity, inclusion committee as well. So um, it really just depends. And finding time tends to be challenging. Uh, My commute to to school to teach is about a three-hour round-trip commute. So that gets to be – that throws things off quite a bit. So when we're out of school, I really do feel like I get this huge boost of, of time back. And so that is that is nice, but it really is. I, I go through and I block out what I call deep work time, where I really truly try to sit down and work on a project versus the, sort of the superfluous answering emails, making sure the bills are paid type of thing. That's really time where I put my headphones in, even at my desk by myself, I put my headphones in and sort of like put my blinders on and really just get to work on one project or one thing that really needs to happen. And so it's it's I would I would say that no day is the same and it's challenging. And I know that I'm not the only one doing this. We're now all working in capacities where we're supporting others, but we're also, you know, we all have, when you get to a certain age, especially you have these different talents and maybe you can put them to use in multiple different ways. So your, your job is not necessarily a streamlined, you go to work and get a salary every day. It's, we do 10 different things and then I'm building 10 different clients and things like that. So it it is very interesting on how that, what that looks like now compared to what it looked like uh, for my parents who had to show up and sit at a desk every day. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it's different world. And I think 
what would be helpful as well, Amy, is, you know, what are the lessons learned? Because, you know, we have moved from, you know, a world where we used to have one job, then, you know, as millennials, and I'm a Gen X, so when you look at millennial and, and Gen Z, now it's okay to have multiple activities and employers, you know, it's the world of the employee. Everybody says to me, Sabine, is the, you know, the, 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 the century of the employee and you know, employers don't have a choice anymore. And so uh, many of those young people actually feel it's okay to, you know, to have a, a day job, but maybe three day jobs to actually, after COVID, to build certainty. So what are the lessons learned that we can actually convey to the entrepreneurs, to the, um, you know, to the new generation deciding maybe to become entrepreneurs or working for corporates? And what can we also teach corporates, which may actually need to look at changing the way they do things today? Yeah, it's really interesting. I will say up front that I have learned that multitasking is not a good thing. And I think we've all been raised and all been taught to, you can multitask. We have all these things. I, I try really hard to hit my do not disturb and then focus because if my text messages are popping up and emails are popping up, I've turned off all my alerts because it is really hard. Multitasking, there's all these studies out that will prove that we're not successful at multitasking and we're not good at it. Uh, and so I think that is upfront, I should say, that is something that I have learned through this process that has been a huge eye opener because I always thought I was so good at it. And I am to an extent, but at some point you just can't do it all. And so um, I, I would say that, you know, those who are, are coming into the workforce and, and really look at the opportunities that benefit you. I, I once had someone say to me when I was uh, laid off from a job, don't find your next career, find your next job, which I thought was really interesting. So go, he's like, go learn something. And that to me is so critical in all the things I do and all the things I say yes to is how do I continue to evolve myself, right? And so if that looks to you like you need to take three different three different, different jobs, do it. If that's what works for you and that's how you're growing your brain, I would say I'm successful because of what I've learned in the corporate world. I feel like that was a really a good structure for me. It helped me understand the corporate world. I think so often, especially now, it's like the, the corporate world is sort of this big black beast, you know, that's like a, a, a bad character in a movie you know, uh, the, the ominous cloud, I was, you know, is what I'm thinking of. And so it's not that way. It's not, you know, I think there's a lot to learn from it. There's a lot, um, there's a lot, a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn about working in a team when you work in the corporate environment. I think there's a huge piece of that, that you really are having to work into someone else's structure. You're having to work um, alongside personalities that are not the same as you. They're probably people you maybe not even, you didn't even hire. And so I think there's a lot to learn from working in the corporate world. Uh, do I think there's an opportunity to evolve what the corporate world looks like? Yes. I, I think we should all be evolving, regardless of how we, we parent, how we are a spouse, how we run our business, if we're a small business, if we're a giant business, or if we're a corporation. I think we're seeing that, and COVID has taught us that we do have to evolve and, and continue. Um, way back when I saw this sign, that said a sticker in a, a skateboarding shop that said, evolve or die. And it's always stuck with me. Because I do think that's so important for us to evolve and, and not end up as the company that it has been. And that we want to be that, that, that place that people want to work for. And maybe that's not, maybe you can't do work from home, but maybe you can have other incentives to do things. Um, what does that look like? And I think that's really important to take a step back. And as, as a person who's not good at taking a step back, take a step back and say, what are our goals? How can we help people reach theirs? What kind of talent do we want? What kind of talent do we need? 
And sometimes just because we've always done the way we've done and we've hired five, five uh, administrative assistants and then we've hired five marketing people, maybe that doesn't make any sense anymore. Maybe you can put those together. Maybe you can bind them. What does that look like? And so I think that is just a huge piece and it's a huge opportunity is the way I look at it. The workplace has been so stagnant for so long. So how can we make it more exciting? How can we make it work for us? And how can we as a company make it work for you too? I mean, you really have to have all the pieces put together. All the pieces and you already actually touch upon, um, you know, sales, structure, uh, team building. And, you know, those are questions I often get from young entrepreneurs. What has been, what is your, your recipe when one needs to structure the right sales and marketing team, build relationship? And, you know, I started in corporate and I will never change that because my ability to do the job I can do today is because of, you know, 20 years working for corporate. So, you know, most of my CXO friend would say, you know, they will never change that because that has set up their, um, the way they're working today, the way they actually working with integrity and actually exploiting uh, the skill set they've built for many years and building around that their own authenticity. So I want to make sure that corporates know that we actually value the learning we we have uh, we have acquired for many years. But you know when I think about entrepreneurs and young uh, business owners, they often ask about you know sales marketing relationship building because often tech founders, as you know are focusing on their tech and are not always the best at um, putting themselves out there and building that top line. So what would be your advice in crowded markets to build those capabilities? You know, I think it's it's really funny. I actually had my father-in-law come to speak to my class the other day and he had founded a business in, back in the 70s and really truly grew that business by relationships by flying all over the world when that wasn't a thing people did there was no email right that foundation of having relationships is still critical today and i think we are more connected to, than ever but more removed than ever right i think there's a beautiful thing to know that if i showed up in your city and said hey can we go grab coffee we would do that where would we meet any other time we wouldn't have right but for um, this platform and so there is an opportunity but how do you maximize that and i think that is a real really critical piece of that is we are so connected, but how do you make a human, how do you humanize that? That relationship is so critical. And so I do think because we're so isolated, we're working in our own homes, whatever that might be, is to get out and build those relationships, get out and meet people. Um, I look at a business we invested in and I I said to someone like, why aren't they going out to these big conferences that, that suit their business? Why aren't they in this industry? And they're like, well, that's just not their thing. But you have to, that sometimes you have to make some of that stuff your thing. And maybe it's not you, maybe you're not comfortable being the people person, then find someone who is. I I think that's critical of building that team around you that doesn't look like you, that doesn't think like you, that's not from the same block from you. You want that diverse team because it brings a different perspective and everyone has their different talents. And um, I just consulted with a a business getting off the ground and he said, I want to know how to build my board. I don't, I don't know what that looks like. You know, I'm having people who are funders who want to seat on my board. And I said, well, your board needs to compliment you. So if this is a, a bank, let's say, for instance, who wants a seat on your board, ask them for what kind of person you need. Do you need someone who's really good at operations? They probably have someone. What does that look like? So find the holes that you have and, you're, and we have to really be able to look inside and say, what am I not good at? What do I not like to do? What am I, what are not my skill sets? And so find those people that, 
tap those talents and plug them in into your team. And I think that is the, the same as we look at relationship building is really find those holes. You really have to go in and figure out how you build that and how you keep those relationships up. Whether you're using Salesforce or good old fashioned contacts in your phone that you're putting notes, keep those in mind. I mean, I have people's birthdays and that is one thing I, I, I strive to do is I keep birthdays going. And in the beginning of every month, I look at my card stash. I have a giant, giant box of cards at my house. I love greeting cards and I will just send them to people. Sometimes it's, I'm just thinking of you, but in the beginning of the month, let's look at who's having a birthday and send a birthday month. Your dentist probably does it. You could do it too. It's those little things that keep that, keep you at the forefront of someone's mind and continue to be a touch point, continue to touch base. Um, I, I really think that the human side of it, what would you ask your friends? You know, how do you keep those in contact or when you have, um, I, I was actually just talking about this with someone the other day is, um, a lot of businesses think that people don't want to hear from them. And, and so they don't do quarterly updates to sort of their ambassadors or fan club or whatever you want to call it. Those quarterly updates, people are seeking those out. Uh, a business we invested in, someone emailed them and said, hey, I haven't seen your quarterly update. I'm, I'm just, are things going okay? People are looking for those. And maybe they don't respond, but they open them and they probably peruse them quickly. Keep them short, keep them sweet, um, because people have a lot of a lot of things that they want to continue on to do. But don't be afraid to make that ask and say, hey, I'm... I'm a new company. I really could use connection at doctor's offices in this zip code. Never hurts to ask, right? The answer is always no if you don't ask. So utilize those and utilize to build that community and build those relationships because the more you can continue to realize you have value to the person you're talking to, but they also add value to you. So you may think of it one way, but they're also thinking, hey, I'm getting something really interesting out of this. I'm finding the insights of what it looks like to dive in and be this phenomenal like startup i'm sitting behind the scenes because i'm asking answering these questions and helping so just remember there's always a value to it and find yours and, and find the people around you to supplement that one thing you know i um i sit on the advisory board of uh, leading um conference uh, global conference and interestingly enough they were sharing some stats recently uh with us around the the power of different mechanism when you actually build relationships and meet people. Still today, conferences represent 75% of where you would meet people and actually start converting your, your relationship into deals. Whilst, and you know, I, I belong to that little group of influencers and PR. PR is probably 10% influencer, 8%. So I said to people, imagine if you're actually going into a conference and then actually use influencer and PR, you are probably nearly um, to the 95% of likely success rate. And so- yeah those relationships and actually leveraging the network in, in the best way it's possible, I think can yield interesting outcome. Absolutely. And absolutely. One thing I remember when we, we met actually, Amy, is this interesting example you shared with me about this coach brand, which needed to uh, empathize and connect with a new target market for them, which was the LGBTQ um, market. And I would love for you to, you know, help us understand, you know, how even a Scotch brand can be so successful when they actually really clear around their target market and start building for that specific niche. Because today we need all to look at niches if we want to be successful. Absolutely. This, this brand was one I, I chatted with and I'm, they really wanted to target sort of the artistic market, right? They wanted to target the LBG, LGBTQ uh, plus IA, um, IA plus, sorry, um, market. And they really wanted to target sort of the arts, the arts element, right? So they were looking at the Tony Awards or 
um, jewelry, movies, Hollywood, they're really looking at that sort of that perspective of things. And I thought that was really interesting because they found um, scotch might have won. We might be considering sort of a an older gentleman's cocktail. Right. And that's not the case anymore. Um, and so I love that they have taken this and said, how can I spin this? People are drinking scotch, but how can I how can I make this fit into my market? How can I find this market that hasn't been touched by this? And I thought that was just a really cool thing. And I think it goes back to identifying truly who your target is and making sure those that target market is actually a consumer of your product, first of all. Um, but really figuring out who it is because that does give them that gives them the ability to that gives you the ability to narrow your focus. And what I, I just thought that was just a really I, I thought it was a phenomenal idea of how do we how do we get this niche market and how do we bring it to a this old this this old school market, this old school brand of scotch? How do we make that something new school? And so I, I just I thought that was just the most fascinating thing. And they've they've labeled accordingly and all of these different things because they're trying to stand out on the shelves of the old vintage leather bound book type of shelves. Uh, and how do they make themselves different? And so uh, I, I'm a big fan of different is good. Uh, I'm a big fan of how I tell my class that all the time is how do you make yourself different? I think a differentiator is a thing that people forget to look at. And um, whether you're starting a nonprofit, make sure there's someone who doesn't serve the same clientele doing the same thing you do because you're just taking money. You're not helping. You're really just taking money from one to the other. And so how do you make yourself different? And so I think that's such a key piece of that. And is it your advertising is your target market is your pricing those are such huge pieces of what can make your business successful yeah and uh, whilst you were uh, going through that story another one came to mind um, once upon a time I used to do um, some of the Pironi pop-ups uh, across London you know they used to come in London around the summer and they used to do those really cool pop-ups my husband used to take me there and they were trying to make women drink beers so what do you think they used to do to make us drink beer? I don't drink beer still today. I pre still prefer wine. However, they tried a very interesting approach, which was to actually serve beer in glasses, wine glasses, beautiful wine glasses. And, you know, trying to do experimental beers, which were more flavored or maybe a little bit sweeter as well. So I tried many, but, you know, I never shifted. But I thought the whole beauty of some of the glasses we have in the house fascinated me because that was for them a way to attract the woman customer to drinking more beers actually it, it's fascinating and i'm i'm intrigued to see how if, if it if it really truly worked same here i mean it didn't work with me <laughs> <laughs> so before going to my, my last question i wanted to to talk to you about the woman and woman talent you're working with and what got you to have an impact on that segment as you know Women in technology is still very scarce and we are always working around STEM courses and finding ways to bring more talent um, to create that diversity, right, in, in those teams, which often are populated still today by, by men, uh, more so than women. And so can you tell us a little bit more on your work investing in women talent and what else can we do to actually shift the, you know, the, the behavior and getting more of us into technology and building entrepreneur, I mean, an entrepreneurial career. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I really think that I sort of dove into this uh, because I didn't have a lot of great support uh, in my early in my career from women. I felt 
women can be very vindictive. Women can be very challenging. Um, and they don't want to really help each other. And I had one boss who was phenomenal and the, the rest were a bit challenging. And, and so to me, it was like, okay, how can I help these women have more confidence? Because when it truly, what it comes down to, it's, it's, as it's confidence to, um, go to school for engineering. It's the confidence to raise your hand and speak up when you're the minority in the room. It's the confidence to be able to, um, apply for those jobs. Uh, there are many studies out there that say, Women will not apply for a job if they don't meet nine out of ten of the out of the requirements. Where men look at the five of them and go, five requirements out of ten and go, oh, "I've got these. I'm going to apply for it." And so it's how are we encouraging our women to own the talent they have and own their smart and realize that everyone has their own version of smart. Everyone has their own talent, and so whether that's STEM, whether that's tech, whether that's PR, whatever that might be, to own that and own your own what you're really good at. And so that to me. I don't know, just one day it clicked to me that I needed to untrain my brain of what I've learned about being a female in business and pay that forward to help give the confidence. And it, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's to the point where sometimes the babysitter will say, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling with how I negotiate this with my other family. Okay, cool. Let's talk about, it. let's figure out what that looks like. And so I think as individuals, we can give that vote of confidence to those women, encourage them to do the things that are maybe challenging, encourage them to speak up, to use their voice. And that is as simple as, you know, I, this, it sounds silly, but um, I, I watched all these little girls. I have, I have a son and I've watched all these people talk to him. And then the little girl next to him, oh, you're so smart. You're so strong. You're so confident. Then to him or to her, oh, you look so pretty. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? We would all like to be told we look, we look nice. Um, but she's also probably really smart. She's probably a great feeder. She probably is a great um, climber of the, she climbs the rock climb. She does a rock climb. Great. She's a great fisherwoman. Whatever that might be, um, it's giving her that boost of confidence. And so, I think it just starts on such a granular level. I mean, yes, we should go and buy from women women businesses. We should um, promote. We should build our teams accordingly. But I think sometimes it can be as simple as giving that vote of confidence, saying something along the lines of wow, I'm really proud of you for doing this versus you look really pretty in that dress today. Uh, I have a girlfriend who refuses to comment on what people look like on Instagram. She will never comment and say, you look pretty today because that's not what she's here for. She wants to build up someone's confidence truly from something that's not a physical appearance, but something that is is truly internal to them. And so uh, I, I think that's such a simple way, but it, uh, it it truly has such a big impact and so that that would be my my how we can truly support those those causes and how we can support continuing to build women up in the workplace. Yeah. So, I mean, I hear, you know, a lot of unconscious biases and we are used to to living with them. You know, we all have them. But another thing I think uh, I'm very much echo from what you're saying. And so is, um, you know, I just be, at the beginning of the year, I joined a chief as a founding member in the UK. I know they are massive in the United States. But, you know, starting here in Europe and United Kingdom, and I joined with a number of my connections and friends. And it's interesting to now be amongst a group of women who actually want to build up other women, because I had the same experience as you had when I was younger. My, my sponsors, let's call them sponsors, were all men. Um, and when I reflect on that uh, now, you know, uh, 30 years later, I think it's because they were themselves trying to make a space for themselves in their careers and they didn't have time for younger 
you know, graduates coming into the business needed a supporting hand, whilst men, you know, so the smart girl uh, that I was at the time said, chup, chup, yes, you are going to help me and I will help you too. And so being able to reflect on that and maybe helping women now to realize that helping other women is okay is so important, I think, uh, to grow and to build those entrepreneurs Absolutely. to build tomorrow. And then I learned from them. I think you, you said that too. I learned from so much from them. And so it's, it truly is, it is mutually beneficial when it comes down to it. Absolutely. And I did have one um, female executives actually who uh, followed me for many years. She was American, but again, I think she was, uh, she had no um, challenges about her career knowledge and her growth, personal growth. So I think it's something to reflect on. What would be your last word of wisdom, Amy, for us to share with our audience? Um, I might go back to the, I mentioned it earlier and it, it does, I don't mean it to sound morbid, but the evolve or die, like continue to improve yourself, continue to evolve, continue to learn. And whether that's reading new articles that are outside of your comfort zone or going to get a certificate or joining a group and taking a bunch of your friends and going to support each other or just supporting uh, someone in your in your office. I, I think that continued evolution for us is is so important. And I, it's, I don't know, it gives, to me, it gives me life to continue to evolve and, and take on new things and, and new challenges. So I hope that uh, your audience will do that too. Thank you so much for your time. Where can we find you, Amy? Oh, you can find us at lastnightsgame.com. Um, we're on all social media platforms. Last Night's Game on Instagram is me. I'm the one in the DMs answering all of those. So if you ever have any uh, questions, you want to, things you want to learn about, you can always find me in there or at amy at lastnightsgame.com. And the podcast is on all major platforms too. Perfect. And thank you so much for your time. We will actually check last night's game. And uh, well, hopefully we learn American football. You know what? I still don't know how to, the rules of the game, but I'm sure I've next got you. Christmas, <laughs> I should be okay. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Thank you. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends, and if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine Van der Linden. Thank you.